What's up and welcome back to Now Salja Pod, giving you your weekly look what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan, joined, as always, by my trusty co-host, Dave Martin Swagger. Dave, how you doing this week, man? Uh, the wheel in the sky keeps on turning, my friend. Uh, Dave is uh, alluding to uh, Wheel of Time, a show we will be talking about Um I'm interested to hear what what our thoughts are on this because it's uh, <laughs> like the next Game of Thrones play kind of. We're also going to be talking about three big movies that came out this weekend. Again, movies continue to be back or at least are being put out. And then uh, a huge album that came out. But Dave, we're starting uh, once again at a very somber spot with the podcast today. Feels like we've done this way too many times since we've started the pod. Another uh rap artist has been murdered um you know uh, untimely death death for young dolph um only 36 years old gunned down outside of a uh was a donut shop that he had been promoting in um his uh, i guess it's his hometown of memphis right um uh, memphis tennessee um really sad uh Really sad, just news that came across last week. I saw a lot of people, um, as as always happens, like sending condolences, but also just kind of mentioning like that they didn't even recognize how much an artist like Young Dolph really meant to them. And I really just like don't even know what what more there is to say because I feel like again this just keeps happening. It's like feels almost like par for the course at this point. How are you feeling after hearing the news? Yeah, obviously, it's really sad, really disappointing, really unfortunate, perhaps not uh, surprising. You know, it's much like Nipsey Hussle's death. You have the hometown hero getting killed in his hometown, not being the aggressor, just being gunned down. And yeah, I mean, to, to your point, Dolph had been a frequent fan of this bakery or donut place whatever it was for years and years there's like a really old social media of him just being like hey i really like this place you guys in memphis should go here too because i'm already doing this you know it's, it's pretty great um and yeah it's uh it, it just obviously it sucks and you saw the outpouring right um and i think that speaks a lot to uh young Dolph's career we haven't really talked about him too much on the pod but he's been very prolific uh for a while now and I think just speaks to something we've acknowledged in the past, but like, you know, post uh, three, six, post two CJ's high point, Memphis has really blossomed as a hip hop scene, independent of the, you know, larger uh, Southern hip hop that we associate with the Atlanta sound and Dolph alongside like newcomers, like Emily Choppa and others, you know, Key Glock is a bunch, uh, Duke Deuce, Dolph seemed to kind of be like the the head of that movement, you know, and that, that that's why he was so beloved uh, in Memphis, and he still lived there, you know. And it's uh, it, it's just it's just just a shame, honestly. And I guess it's one of those things where, you know, if you if you don't get out and you stay where you're from, there's always that risk, right? On the other hand, we saw what happened to Pop Smoke he did get out and he still got killed. So uh, just really sad, you know, but I mean, there's one saving grace. He did 
make a lot of music. So there's a lot of music there to be enjoyed. So that that's um that's something I guess. But yeah, it's just uh, obviously senseless and really yeah. sad. Yeah, there was a picture of him with his family um, going around. Just really like breaks your heart. And uh, I think especially with some of these artists, they can feel so like larger than life, you know. Um, and sometimes it, it can make it feel really surreal and almost like hard to really connect with. But he just seemed, like you mentioned, very down to earth person, someone that, um, uh, you know, was trying to lift uh, this bakery up, lift other people up. Um, you know, he had been grinding, like you said, for a while. So to see him, you know, his life come to an end like this is just uh, incredibly sad. Uh, any like young Dolph, Dolph song that you'd recommend people go listen to? Anything that you really like? That's a good question. Uh, he's made a bunch of songs with Key Glock. I'd say check that out. Key Glock's a lot younger than him. But yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like Dolph was really successful. You know, he's probably doesn't have like a huge like like mainstream presence as a rapper, but he kind of does, you know, like he's, he's, he's as big as just about anyone, honestly, when he, especially when you think about how he was talked about by his peers. So there's a lot of music to, to get into. And like I said, it's a little different because it's Memphis music and that's what's cool. So yeah, it's again, really sad, but at least there's something left behind. Well, uh, go listen to young Dolph give him some plays let's move on to some new music that came out this week Kay Trinata returning to the scene I mean Bubba was end of 2019 so it didn't feel I guess as long I guess I you know kind of blends into that end of year mix I think that was actually December if I'm remembering right? it was before we did mm-hmm. our like best of almost two um, years ago Bubba is an album I really liked obviously 99.9% is undeniably a great album and i I know you're a big fan of k trinata so seeing intimidated the ep come out was pretty excited just to kind of see and you know it's a short three track ep little little taste for us what what did you think of the tracks yeah i mean i thought it had a lot of the qualities we associate with k trinata music and a lot of the reasons he's upheld as a exciting dj exciting producer but also an interesting one that stands out and it's great that he's been recognized lately he did win two grammys uh thanks to bubba uh last year which is awesome um someone who (laughs) got nominated for best new artist like 10 years into his career (laughs) we talked a lot about the fallacies of best new artist last week the grammys anyway nice to see him getting acknowledged by the greater uh, industry and I think uh, it was nice that all these songs had vocalists. That's something K. Trinata has acknowledged, that he thinks his production style, his beats, probably sound better with uh, with vocals. And I, I thought it was pretty cool. Again, you know, not like you have any expectations for a brief EP, but I feel like a lot of times EDM EPs, they come out, and you might not realize they came out. But on the other hand, EDM albums are kind of rare. All the famous DJs, they're not really, they don't do album mode that much. You know, they, you're kind of lucky when you get the EP. So uh, even if K. Trinata is more prolific than most DJs, it's still great to get this EP. And yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, I, I liked all the tracks. Uh, I think there wasn't anything that like blew me away as like, oh, K. Trinata's working on a new sound or has this new trick necessarily. But I really just thought they all sounded really shiny 
really well produced, obviously. Uh, the track with Thundercat getting his like <laughs> high pitched singing on it, uh, obviously reminds me of uh, Dragon Ball Z Do Rag or whatever that was. Um, yeah, Dragon Ball Do Rag, yeah. Yeah, Dragon Ball Do Rag. Um, it, it just really brought a smile to my face thinking about that track. And, you know, for someone that we bagged on a lot, the song with her, I actually thought it was really good and sounded super smooth. And I was like, this is probably a pretty good pairing. And maybe this will actually inspire her to make something interesting. I had the exact same thoughts. <laughs> and I think this is a great example of her's talent, you know, standing in the face of past criticisms. Her The production choices she does with her own music is rarely interesting or engaging, you know. But she's still a talented artist. She's still a good singer. And even if, you know, she wasn't playing the guitar on this or anything, uh, pairing her abilities with Kay Trinata's production, yeah, pretty cool. Honestly, one of the my favorite her songs, kind of by default. So <laughs> it'd be nice if she thought about that in the future, but I won't hold my breath. I mean, I, I would love it if, you, if she even brought him on to produce like one or two tracks on her albums. It's going to make it more interesting than what we got last year, or this year, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and the, the other track with... Uh, Makahami. I actually thought that was maybe my favorite out of all of them. Um, just like, just so it moved a little bit faster than the other two. This was more upbeat, and I really liked his just like, like spoken word cadence to it. Just brought this like real, I don't know, gravitas to it. It felt yeah. like so. Yeah, uh, just all all three tracks are great. Looking yeah. forward to whatever's next. Shout out Makahami. That's he's a newer uh, Griselda signing out of well-liked album from earlier in the year uh yeah i think i honestly i think my favorite song is the her song just because of that like thump almost like drum and bass music uh from Cajunata. i thought it was really cool but yeah i mean it's a three it's a little three pack you know you can't can't you just be happy if you like the songs if not move on it's all good <laughs> um we already put the the her song onto our nostalgia best of 2021 so check that out also, if you're watching us on YouTube and you haven't subscribed, or if you're listening to us and you haven't subscribed on YouTube yet, go to youtube.com slash nostalgiapod. Follow us there. Dave, go easy on me. Uh, Adele's back, and I've got, I've got mixed feelings about Adele 30. Um, it's been six years since we got an Adele album. 25 came out in 2015. Uh, we've been waiting. Uh, she, she's been going through some stuff. The album is good. Let, let's just start there. The songs are good. The album is good. It was not what I expected. And I'm grappling with that. Were, were you were you pleased and did you feel satisfied with what we got from Adele 30? Let's just start there. Yeah, no, I was pleased. I was satisfied. I I think it's really interesting to think about having like expectations for Adele, an artist that really keeps everything at arm's reach. As you said, six years between albums. I'm sure the label would have liked that gaff to be just a little shorter, given three years incredible stature as you know, the biggest artist of the 21st century when it comes to sales, like she's this megalith, right? So mm-hmm. to get uh, her fourth album at last, uh, I was just curious to, to hear it, you know, because she has such a track record. Um, and yeah, 
Uh, she got divorced. It's evident. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So this is where I guess where I'm feeling a little. Uh, I don't know if dissatisfied, but just like surprised. Maybe my expectations were subverted. We get easy on me as the single, right? Mega hit seems right in line with most of the Adele singles we've gotten in terms of like structure. It's the song that starts off pretty low, has like the high pitched Adele booming voice, just like totally throwing you into your emotions. You feel like you're a mess by the end of this thing. And then I feel like a lot more of the album was toned back and you didn't hear Adele Hmm. necessarily hitting those like high notes. There weren't as many ballads maybe on this as, I expected. Um, and and for me, that left me surprised. Definitely felt like my um, expectations were subverted. I listened to this this album three times, though, and I was like, this is a really good album every time yeah. I listen. And there's, there's I think it, this is an album that we say this about a lot of them, though. Um, really, you get a lot out of re-listens because you pick up on little things. You pick up on sequencing and um, I'm sure everybody's seen the news about how Adele asked Spotify not to make the autoplay um, uh, random or whatever, so jump around. The big play button when you open an album was defaulting to shuffle. So I didn't even use that app, that button for years. I would just click on the first song so it didn't shuffle, you know? Kind of how a stupid that? thing that shuffle was the default. And how we needed that? Adele, of all people, to use her pull to pull this off with Spotify, right? Like kind of nonsense that this was even a thing. Yeah, so uh, I'm glad we're talking about this. That was my first reaction. I was like, Spotify, this is really what you've been doing all these years. Like albums, ob- most of the time are sequenced for a reason, the way that they are, and then you're just totally subverting that. So that makes no sense to me. Um, but yeah, so I feel like this is a bit more toned back than what we got on tracks on albums like 25 or 21, but still really really impressed with this uh, i saw you tweeting about it a bit today you're, you're a fan yeah and i think i think to your point about it being you know lower tempo being not as big uh she said that that was intentional she didn't want to make another hello she didn't want that like she you know it's, it's i think it's funny there's a few reasons but, like she doesn't want like that karaoke song again but she also just doesn't want that like mammoth world beating song which is so funny because no matter what she made it was going to be a world beater anyway right easy on me as you said huge huge hit thus far it's been number one since it came out uh set the spotify single day streaming record you know nbd it also set the single week for a song record um but but easy on me isn't like challenging to adele's vocal abilities or anything right it's kind of a conventional song but because it's Adele it's gonna hit and sounds really good and she just has such incredible vocals and amazing pitch and all that that even if it's just kind of a solid down the middle song it sounds amazing and obviously that's bearing out with the song success um and yeah I mean there's there's some songs where she belts it at the end but I feel like those are more like emotional songs they're not exactly songs that like Maybe people are going to like jump out of their seat to listen to all the time. The way something like Adele would dominate pop radio, you know, even though it's not exactly what you'd think of as like a, you know, a hit popular song. Yeah, it's uh, 
I, I think it just speaks, and, and I think you really summed this up well, that whatever Adele did for this album was going to be huge, unless like she somehow completely missed the mark, which would have been the biggest shock <laughs> probably of the year. Um, I think what I found really impressive about this album was she's always had a knack for writing personal songs, but this album at points was like so personal that it left me feeling like, uncomfortable at times like, especially on first listen hearing a lot of like the voicemails that, that she had her voice notes about like you know uh something happened last night and i'm hungover and i feel anxious and paranoid the stuff with her child like this was like really raw in a lot yeah. of ways and uh i appreciated that the album wasn't totally this you know we get a lot of songs that i think bring some levity and a little bit like hey i got divorced but i'm single now but let's enjoy this but still, uh, some moments that felt uh, vi- like very, very personal. How did you feel about like those tracks? I, I did like the touches, honestly. Mm-hmm. I thought they were effective. These yeah. like, interludes and outros and all that. Yeah, I thought I thought it was good. Um, man, yeah, it, it's also really funny to think like, like as you said, she's talking about going through divorce, you know, becoming a co-parent. Her, you know the uh the baby dad ex-husband lives across the street literally to make <laughs> make raising their kids so easy honestly pretty awesome to hear that but yeah. uh in the in the meantime like adele has obviously gone through this amazing physical transformation but also mm-hmm. it's kind of just like becoming a a celebrity yeah which, like 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 an act like just an actual celebrity right like she was at the lakers game with rich paul the agent who's her like su- the superstar power couple now you know but like you contrast that like all this like obvious like big celebrity as she's become a la person you're contrasting that with the music right which is still not compromised at all like i honestly love it you know and it's it, it's so funny too look at these uh this track list right you'll see inflow who was all over the little sims album that we love from earlier this year uh, you see Max Martin, notably on one song that I really liked, but dominating the credits is Greg Kirsten. And yeah. it's so funny because we've been remarking a little bit recently that Greg Kirsten, you know, maybe we weren't seeing the impact mm-hmm. of some of his recent collaborations, you know, like the Foo Fighters album from this year. Right, so, right. Greg Kirsten, you know, just kind of getting the check, getting the bag. You know what? why he was doing that? Because he was working with fucking Adele and he <laughs> had more important things to do. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and, I, it, and I'll say it worked. In a lot of ways, this is like Greg Kirsten, like LeBron taking like 20 games off and then coming back for the playoffs and just totally like dominating to the finals, you know, like yeah. that's basically what this was. And yeah, the, the album is just meticulously produced and fabulous. Um, why don't we talk about the, the tracks that stood out to us? You mentioned one that had Max Martin on it. That's got to be Can I Get It? Correct. Yeah, I, I love Can I Get it, especially in the sequence of the album because it's this like breath of up tempo production. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's it's Adele making this like, you know, light like pop rock song in a sense, you know, like there's it's like all guitar. And I think that song is a fucking banger, you know? I mean, I, I think uh, I Drink Wine is going to be the second single, but Can I Get It should be a single. Like that that is a that is a straight up hit right there. I, I, I love the track. Yeah, I I definitely stood out. It it's a unique sounding song on the album, and it's it's a really fun song. Um, 
you know, I, I think it really shows off uh, something Adele hasn't done a lot, which I exactly. mean, this like sing songy, but like kind of like, it was like rapping almost at points, like really it's, impressively done. It's way more poppy than like, you know, rolling in the deep or set fire to the rain. You know, it's completely removed from that, but still really good. Just again, speaks to the talent. But as yeah. You said, yeah, it's untapped. And the way it like kind of comes in and out, you know, because she does a lot of singing on the verses but then it gets to that chorus and the chorus is just absolute like pop magic like perfection what do you expect from max martin you know (laughs) exactly um i really like the the track that follows can i get it i drink wine this is i mean it's very jazzy but like i think this is maybe my favorite adele vocal performance just the way she kind of goes all over the place she's very like subdued and like held back but the second half, when especially when she starts to get the chorus in the background up behind her, just like really, really good. Um, and just feels very triumphant, which, you know, you mentioned like the first part of the album is heavy. You know, like Cry Your Heart Out is a light sounding song. Um, then you get Can I Get It? And then you get I Drink Wine. That feels like a real like turning point for the album where it's like, OK, she's gone through it. She's moving past it. Now she's like looking at these like, you know, tough times where she's drinking all of her problems away. But the album feels like it's turning more to like, okay, I've moved past the divorce. Let's let's start to look at some other stuff. And I I really appreciate that. Um, So, yeah, I drink wine is probably my my favorite, at least in the middle. I mean, I think Easy on Me is like clearly maybe the best like ballad and like vocal performance Mm -hmm. on the album. But yeah, yeah, I, I like that one a lot. What other songs stood out to you? So right before Can I Get It, so I think this middle sequence is really interesting. Uh, you have Oh My God, and that has kind of like Afrobeat adjacent production. Again, something else untapped in terms of what Adele has done to this point. Really cool. Uh, I also thought, you know, towards the end, I think it's, uh, was it Hold, Hold On and uh, To Be Loved? Yeah, she's, she's letting it fly at the end there, you know, vocally. Again, just kind of showing it off in case you forgot, because again, a song easy on me is yeah. like it like hello. So like you you forget. You know, I don't think people forget, but you might you might be perhaps forgetting that Adele just has this amazing vocal range, but you didn't want to use it all the time on this album, and that was obviously by design. Yeah, hold on. Um, to me, is like in the same Adele sphere as. Uh, make you feel my love her cover of that just feels very much in the same vein and uh, I just love when Adele does this like very soulful uh, stripped back kind of song where her vocals are just really really driving it Um, but like you said not like in an overpowering way Um, I also really liked the song All Night Parking with Ariel Gardner I just thought that was like a really smooth lighthearted, and like almost kind of like it, I don't know. It almost had like a James Blake type production to it, where it had like that like ticking like drum in the background with like some nice keys flowing over it. Everything kind of intertwining well. Um, really, really liked that one. But really, I don't think there's a bad track on here. Tracks I like more than others, but I don't know if there's a bad yeah, track exactly. necessarily. Totally. Um, and any other thoughts on this? I mean, just glad to have Adele back. Yeah, definitely. You know, and. I'm very interested to see how this album 
sells in, in the years to come. Like, give it some time and see how Adele's star power translates to commercial sales as streaming is continuing to evolve and dominate. Like I said, Adele is like the, the, the titan of, you know, selling music this year, this, this, this century, right? The, the, the number one best-selling album of the 21st century is 21. And the number four best-selling album of the 21st century is 25. <laughs> like, the only person in the 2010s to have two Diamond albums. Like, she's just this ridiculous commercial force. And I want to see how that manifests nowadays with the, you know, as the landscape has changed. We've seen artists like Taylor Swift, huge fan base, huge institution as pop figure. We've seen them continue to sell records while also do do big streaming numbers, right? Like I said, with Easy On Me, Adele's still dominating streaming too. Um, but I want to see what those sales look like. You know, 21, 31 million records sold. Album's 10 years old. Nuts, you know? So I'm curious to see where 30 gets, you know, in the years to come. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, no doubt it'll probably get somewhere close. I imagine people are going to love this. It, you know, I was thinking festivals done well since we come back for the most part, aside from obviously the Astro World incident um, tragedy. Um, Adele's got to be probably a headlining. Uh, it's Coachella, I say, feels like a lock. Glastonbury, I mean, they already announced Billie Eilish. I imagine they, if Adele wants to play, they'll, they'll sign her. Did so. she do festivals the last time around? Because what she does is world tour, obviously. She'll That's true. tour this shit for a whole year. Yeah, maybe well, she doesn't want to split the uh, the, the check or whatever. I don't, or I don't yeah, know. Yeah, like the non compete with the local arenas. I don't know. Because she, yeah. I mean, the last time she she uh, toured, you know, for 20, for 25, I mean, no, it's hundreds of million grossing tours. So I, I don't know if, if, that, if the festivals were in the cards necessarily. She did Glastonbury 2016. I wonder if, okay. if they would yeah. have her back. Obviously British, so there's that connection there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, obviously they, anyone would take her in a heartbeat. It's just about, you know, oh, how calculated yeah. it's going to be. You it know seems what I'd like love to maybe see, she honestly? Only did Glastonbury. What was that? I'd love to see, like, a Miss Americana-style documentary about Adele. Just because, like I said, Adele, at least until recently, has kept everything very private. You know, we don't really know much about what Adele's up to. You know, there might be some tabloid stuff, but it's all surface level. You know, she's, you know, maybe even like doing her press now, you know, we know the talking points about the album and the divorce and the kid and all that, you know, but like, I'd love to see the, the studio process, you know, the way we got uh, Antonoff and Taylor figuring out how to make getaway car in real time. You know, I'd love to see <laughs> something like that for Adele. Yeah, I, I would watch the shit out of that, dude. I'd love to see that. Um well, it's time to move off of music, Dave. Again, check out our Nostalgia Best of 2021 on Spotify. And we're moving on to the Wheel of Time. Uh, Amazon adapting the Robert Jordan uh, novel series as their big epic fantasy. Um, Amazon's got Lord of the Rings coming next year. So in a way, you know, th th this kind of feels like a, we want this to be Game of Thrones. We're going to put money into this, but it's not the one necessarily. You know, it's not the the highest stakes for them. But uh, Rafe Judkins is the showrunner. We got a couple episodes dropped, I think. Yeah. Um, Three episodes are out on Amazon Prime Video. And it'll be eight episode season. 
concluding on Christmas Eve, and it's already been renewed for a second season, which is currently in production. And like you said, Amazon Studios' first but not last attempt at having a dominant fantasy IP in the wake of Game of Thrones. But Lord of the Rings is coming from them next year. The Game of Thrones prequel, House of the Dragon, is coming from HBO next year. So maybe the window is uh, closing. I don't know. But the Wheel of Time is finally here. You know, it's it's been something that they've tried to adapt in one form or another. Various people, various companies for a long time. This is a uh, just as great selling fantasy series as The Song of Ice and Fire is Game of Thrones. It's just as popular on the book side of things and even started before Game of Thrones. But, you know, I think culturally, you know, Thrones kind of like beat them to the punch in a certain sense. And hearing stuff about breaking the wheel in the Wheel of Time show, it's like, hmm, you might have invented that technically on the literary side of things. But when I hear someone say break the wheel, I think of like Cersei Lannister or Tywin or, or Tyrion or something, you know? Yep, 100%. Um, so we're only going to be talking about the first episode. Um, <laughs> man, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I guess, like my 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 thought on this, it it follows uh, Rosamund Pike, who plays uh, Moraine, I believe is the way yeah. you pronounce the name. Uh, who's Our Gandalf a stand-in? Yeah, basically, basically like a witch wizard uh, character who is trying to find uh, the young adult who is um, going to be what the, the the dragon, the reincarnation yes. of the dragon. <sighs> So they I don't mean, like fuck up the world at the end of time. It's like a cyclical prophetic thing, you know, the usual fantasy uh, tropes and whatnot. Yeah. And so uh, you got Rosamund Pike, you know, running around uh, using her magic powers to fight off these orc stand in yes. uh, creatures. The, the uh, Trollocs. Yeah. You have Priyanka Bose uh, being pushed into a river. Uh, that that was her, right, Priyanka? Or was I she? Think so, yeah. Um, right so you know, you, you got some exciting stuff happening here and there. It just didn't grab me, and I think I I just felt very like I don't know if it was the execution or if it was just the story overall didn't grab mm-hmm. me, but I kind of left being like, "There's a lot going on here." I don't know if any of it was particularly particularly well done, and. I feel like it it just is a miss for me. Well, how did you feel though? Yeah, you know, watching the the pilot, I was left with thinking, oh, you know, this this could be cool. I think it could be cool. But I I, I don't think it's super compelling as a pilot. Because you know, like it, it's it's hard, right? Like you have all these these young characters, these four young characters who go on this journey with Rosamund Pike and her like warrior buddy right and you kind of like see where it's going right they're gonna go on this journey and you have you have this battle in this first episode a pretty protracted long action scene with the trollocs attacking this the twin rivers way too long and you know i thought i thought it was actually pretty solid from an action standpoint but i think it's perhaps misjudged to have that be our like inciting conflict because we don't know who his people are yet we're still learning all the words you're getting a lot thrown at you 
early on, which I respect. I like that they're just throwing us in with the lore, you know, pick it up as you go along. Game of Thrones does the same thing. That's how the books work too. But, you know, I just, I couldn't help but see like, oh, I, I, I see the DNA of Lord of the Rings. I see the TV side DNA from Game of Thrones a little bit, you know, and it's not necessarily fair to just immediately compare their work to its peers. But, you know, when you're deciding if you want to invest in something, you know, I feel like it comes up. Um, you know, they shot this in Prague. I think it looks pretty nice. I thought the set, the river set looked good. From what I understand from the advanced reviews, the critics have seen six of the episodes. Uh, it continues to look nice. But I think you got to really be like interested in like the appeal of this world, you know, a world where only the women uh, can uh, do magic, power, yeah. you know. Um, you have to be interested, I think, in learning more about that to want to go because I think as like a TV, an example of TV, it doesn't necessarily like immediately compel you. In a sense, I had very similar feelings watching this as I did watching uh, The Witcher season one on Netflix, mm. in which I watched half of that first season before bowing out. So, you know, I, I think this will do decently for people that are interested and like fantasy and, you know, book fans certainly have wanted this for a long time. Again, it has a lot of fans, but I think it it's a bit of a tougher sell for people that aren't kind of already in the bag for something like this. Yeah, you know, I, I do think for me, like, really throwing you into, like, the, the fantasy, like, lore and, like, all, like, the lingo and stuff was a bit of, like, a, I don't know if turnoff is the right word, but just kind of was like, eh, okay. Um, I, I can I can sit with this, but I didn't find Rosamund Pike to be particularly, like, I don't know, enthusiastic, maybe is the right word. Mm-hmm. Um, Which I, we maybe know she her- has in her, but yeah, the, the, the writing wasn't setting her up for it. I thought I thought the CGI kind of sucked too. Like uh like when she's using all her powers and like <laughs> the stuff swirling around, really didn't think that came like looked that great. I actually um, enjoyed it just because it was so much brighter than what I the other action, which was happening at night, so it was dark. That's true. Like it was blue. Yeah. It was like, oh, oh, this this is this is appealing like to the eye because it's different, you know. Yeah. And you know, I think overall for me, like I was trying to think about like what makes game, what made Game of Thrones something that people could get into. And I'll, I'll even admit, like at first with Thrones, like I, it was hard for me to get into that as well. So maybe fantasy just is, my, is not my genre. Yeah. You're just, uh, you're just a fool in the beginning. <laughs> I was on from the jump. You were, you were. Um, I think what what made Thrones something a lot of people could get into, maybe even people that aren't big fantasy fans, is the it starts off right away with the White Walkers. But then they're kind of sidelined for a while. And it's a pretty straightforward, like, bunch of people trying to take power and, like, all this infighting. And that is, like, a pretty straightforward premise that can suck people in. And then you can start to introduce these, like, kind of out there fantasy elements as you go. I, like, I don't think the dragons, like, if uh, that, does, that to me doesn't really scream, like, out there fantasy. Things like magic powers, uh you know the the, the many faced gods, uh, White Walkers, zombies, basically like that. That sort of stuff's a little more out there, and so I think when you throw throw a lot of people right in the deep end with this fantasy stuff without there being maybe more of a premise to like bite onto that's not all fantasy, it becomes I think a little bit more difficult. That's a, at least like where my brain got to in understanding why I might have liked Thrones more than this, um, but we'll see. I mean, I. I I don't think this is it. I don't think this is going to be the next Game of Thrones. Uh, my money would be on uh, either Lord of the Rings or House of Dragon next year. But right, of course. 
Do you want to finish this? You want to watch all eight? I'm definitely going to give it a little, at least a little bit more time. Because uh, that's the thing. It's right. Throwins had impeccable writing. You know, that's what can bring people in. You just, you like, you, you learn the characters. You appreciate the characters. Things make sense, right? This pilot, like, there was no chance for anything to happen in that regard. Now, if the writing doesn't pick up too much or hopefully not get a sense of wheel spinning on the journey that'd be awfully uh you know unfortunate if that was to happen but you know i want to give the world a little bit more time because i think the the, the potential like you said right like setting it up these this trollock attack this dark one bad guy unseen there right they might not actually come into play all that much and it might not be super like good versus evil end of the world all the time you know and yeah there'll be some magic but you know i'm willing to see where that goes a little bit it's funny though like there's been a lot of a lot of attempts like this recently right you know like the hbo had the nevers we we didn't we didn't stick with that and it doesn't seem like anyone did <laughs> you know his dark materials apple's foundation which i, I definitely still liked um brave new world and peacock there's been so many things and it's like yeah you know I think at the end of the day we kind of know what the best ones are probably going to be because we just can trust the execution and that's house of the dragon we assume and hopefully lord of the rings because lord of the rings was such an investment for amazon they spent 10 million episodes on wheel of time that's that's really substantial that's more than game of thrones first season was crossing episode it's not as much as the last season of game of thrones either but it's not nothing um so i'm, I'm gonna give it at least a little bit more time see what see see what happens well, uh, maybe, maybe we'll be checking back in. Drop us your thoughts. If if you, if you all like it and comments enough, like enough, maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll give the people what they want. But Dave, why don't we why don't we move on to another big piece of IP? Ghostbusters, mm-hmm. Ghostbusters Afterlife. Um, been a while for the Ghostbusters. Been a while for the uh, the franchise, and they're back, baby. Um, with uh, sorry just needed to give out this eye because that, that's kind of how i feel about the movie but uh with jason reitman at the helm um you know who is experienced in these like young adult type movies and did you did you like the original ghostbusters you a fan yeah so notably reitman obviously the son of ivan reitman the director of the original ghostbusters yeah so like i didn't really see it as a kid you know, there's two things, you know, 80s era stuff that I didn't really like have a relationship to as a kid. It was Back to the Future and Ghostbusters because I was raised in Star Wars and Lord of the Rings. That's my, that was my shit, you know? So I didn't, I don't think I even saw Ghostbusters until I like, went to college, honestly. So yeah, it, it, it's not, it wasn't a thing that I uh, picked up. But honestly, it's not really a kid's movie in the first place. Um, uh, but yeah, I didn't have much of a relationship with Ghostbusters. Yeah, which is actually, it's really funny to me because I feel like Ghostbusters, at least recently, um, you know, it's been 32 years since the Ghostbusters movie was released. Has it now kind of become a kid's movie? And I don't know if that's like... Well, certainly with this one. Well, yes, with this one. But I think even the original, like, um, I know people who have shown their children under like 10 years old, the original Ghostbusters. And there's there's a lot of like sexual innuendo and just like lewd stuff in that. Yeah. Um, the humor in general is more for adults absolutely and so uh 
you know, so I, I think the movie makes a lot of sense for the direction it went in. You know, this really, I think, like we both premise is a young adult movie at its core. But um, it just, I, I, I'm kind of baffled at how it got here. I guess it's probably the the commercial viability of like selling Slimer toys or like muffin uh or was it the marshmallow man toys and stuff like that the the costumes for halloween uh 80s children becoming parents who are giving their kids this nostalgia but uh i did not really need a ghostbusters movie in my life uh i i'm i'm a fan to an extent i like i like the original movie the 1984 one um so we got this did you like Ghostbusters Afterlife, Dave? I was entertained by it. I don't think it's like impressive. I think it, it's like it's really safe mm-hmm. and and kind of frustrating because it's doing a lot of things that we've come to recognize from the revitalization of, of franchises. And I should say, I guess Blockbuster, but not even like Ghostbusters is amazing Blockbuster. But as you say, it's become a franchise in, in its own right. And that's just this overwhelming nod to nostalgia and fan service. Think, of course, of The Force Awakens and Jurassic World. I think the, the best examples that also uh, were complete successes, to be clear, um, at least from a business standpoint. And I guess, you know, big picture seeing Ghostbusters, oh, we'll just kind of run it back with some kids. I mean, okay, fine. You know, it, it's it's awfully weird to see this as like the response to what happened with Ghostbusters 2016, which was, of course, the uh, all-female uh, iteration, reboot, as it were, that had a lot of ridiculous backlash and fan entitlement going on leading into a lot of misogyny levied at the actors and and racism levied at Leslie Jones in general just an example of our current culture war so totally blocked that out I I can't believe I missed that at the the top I totally blocked that movie out so so the and not the movie was that great but I think comedically it actually had a lot more to do with the original DNA anyway but you know, I, get, I, get, I said it was surprising. It's not surprising. They just completely went back. Let's just do exactly what the fans want and do the old thing again because this is exactly what happened with Rise of Skywalker after The Last Jedi. You know, just capitulating to the lowest common denominator. And I guess the question remains, like, is Ghostbusters a sacred cow that needs this kind of reverence in the first place? No, no, of course not. It's not. And it really is, I think, like, you've mentioned this as a total nostalgia play and it's just it's just really glomming money from these 80s babies who are like man ghostbusters growing up my parents loved it i watched it all the time wore the suits for halloween you got finn wolfhard in here man we already know to expect this from him with stranger things yeah like it just there's nothing there's nothing unique or like really outstanding about this movie like you mentioned some parts are entertaining I really liked the scene where they're uh, chasing Muncher. You know, it's the first time they're really like busting a ghost, I guess, using the proton mm. pack, driving the car around. thought that was pretty good. I really liked uh, some of the, the ending stuff. Actually, and I actually thought the opening was pretty interesting, too. You know, you kind mm-hmm. of like the 
out of frame old man. Obviously, the I'm trying to bust this ghost goes wrong. Okay, this looks pretty good. There's so much BS in the middle, dude. That like I just was like, you, you, we we could have chopped so much of this out. Um, also, just like it it just is like such such a like weird way to rope uh, Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray and um, man, I'm forgetting the other guy's name. Um, yeah, the uh, other original. What's his name? Eddie. Buster. Uh, Eddie uh, Hudson, Ernie Hudson. Ernie Hudson. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. All, all respect to Ernie Hudson out there. Um, just like such a weird way to like rope them in that like you know she gets one phone call, she calls the a Ghostbuster, and Dan Aykroyd's like, yeah, he didn't help us out, and he thought the apocalypse was happening, and we didn't listen to him. And it's like, really, like you, you guys are like these Ghostbusting people, and you couldn't believe that like this like crazy ghost was coming. Like I don't know, feels like. It's like a strange stretch there to me. Mm, I, yeah. I just was kind of like, eh, didn't really buy that. But uh, I, I also, I, I left, walked away thinking uh, McKenna Grace. Mm. I thought she was pretty good for, uh, you know, for a kid, obviously. We're pretty on the kid scale here, but I, I really liked her performance. Finn Wolfhard was kind of like, whatever. Um, did not like podcasts. Um, I just <laughs> did not find him fun. But the, the little baby marshmallows, uh, marshmallow men were, were pretty funny. By far my favorite part. So. I love the. I, I was actually like legitimately laughing when the marshmallow men were like tor- oh. started the torment Paul Rudd and all that, and then they come back in the car. That was really amazing. Funny. At the emptiest Walmart I've ever seen, empty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're in the middle of nowhere, right? Um, it, the podcast character, I, I did laugh at like his stupid jokes a fair amount. It's kind of weird that like his name is literally podcast though. Yeah, you know, I don't they know. I mean, they, they a... shot this in 2019, pre-pandemic. Yeah, but uh, I guess that read on things is perhaps a little, even a little dated. Um, but yeah, like the the whole like nostalgia play, right? It's like it's so like in in your face, and not necessarily that it's like it's not offensive. It's just kind of callous. Like they're literally driving up the mountain in El Camino, sitting in the back. No one has fucking El Camino anymore, man. They're going to a a, a a drive-in diner like a Sonic, but it's not a Sonic. It's like an original, like, like mo- mom and pop diner with skating skating waiters. Like, what? Are you serious? You know, it's called Spinners, and then the P gets shot by the proton torpedo. So then it's Sinners. I was like, oh, good stuff. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know they 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 said shit a lot in this movie, which I was like, uh, for a kids movie or for a young adult movie, I was like, huh. I wonder if this is I wonder how many they're allowed to say, first of all, before like the reading goes up. I don't know. It was PG thirteen, right? I like, think so. Yeah. But yeah, I it has to be because they, they nod to sex and stuff. So Yeah. Yeah, th- third base. And also Car- Carrie Coon and Paul Rudd just going at it as uh possessed people. Uh pretty interesting. Yeah. Well, what do you think honestly, about them? That's where the movie I think like basically falls off, right? Like the end is kind of annoying. It's like you know who I was not invested in? Gozer coming back. <laughs> Don't give a fuck. Well, right. So the, the this is a pure sequel to the original two. You really had to bring Gozer back, bro. Like, there's no other evil ghosts to fight. It's just Gozer all the time. Shout out Olivia Wilde. But Gozer? Yeah, and, and that's the thing, right? It's like, if you had, like, maybe stripped down Ghostbusters, all on nostalgia, vibes, 80s. But you also kept it like 
smaller scale, just busting some ghosts, having some coming of age stuff going on in the small town. My mom might meet someone too. That would have been great. That's totally cool, you know? We didn't need this whole like mythology about Gozer in the mountain and you know the 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 dude um who like who built the town who's referenced in the original movie who's like sleeping in the coffin right like we we, oh, yeah. we that, that that was just like levels beyond we don't need that right because wasn't he J.K. Simmons too <laughs> yes yes that's who it was I was so gonna random. say Terrence Stamp from last night so um, yeah yeah it was J.K. Um, like we didn't need any of that. You know, it, it was because in the in the process, you just kind of like short shrift everyone in the supporting role because you just stop having any character development because you have to service this annoying plot and finish it off. You know, like I, I didn't need Paul Rudd and Carrie Coon to get possessed. You know, it would have been cooler, I feel like, if they just kind of have a meet cute and a romance and lose track of their kids who are busting ghosts. I don't know. Not to like rewrite the movie, but like... <laughs> It, it, I guess it's kind of safe, like you said, right? Let's just get all these ghosts and demon dogs and shit going on and sell some toys. I don't know. Yeah, it's pretty formulaic. I mean, I literally had a kid in the theater when Muncher, is, you know, they first see him go, oh, it's Slimer. And then obviously it wasn't. And the kid's like, Slimer looks weird. Like literally a kid was exclaiming this in the theater. And it's like, yeah, they're, they're just taking all the beats so they're like, oh, I can sell a Muncher toy now. Oh, instead of a big marshmallow man, look at all these little marshmallow men that now you can buy your kids for Christmas right. this year. It's just very commercial. It's well, and 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 right. And again, like I said, similar to Jurassic World, similar to Force Awakens, and it sets up a very similar problem because you bring back the OG cast that is very popular and beloved by all the Ghostbusters fans, and rightfully so. And we go back at the end, New York City, reopen the shop, you know? So now what? You're going to make a sequel to this without them? You probably should plan for the post Ackroyd Hudson and Murray Ghostbusters, right? But they won't because they didn't set it up that way, you know, because they feel like they needed them to. We needed to do the fan service, right? Harold Ramis coming back via, uh, not mocap, what Ghost. is this? Yeah, uh, just... Uh, um, you know, a posthumous appearance, the way you know, Grand yeah. Admiral Tarkin and Princess CGI. Leia returned. Yeah, C- a CGI appearance. You know, you know. On one hand, I feel like it, it does a decent job of like trying to tug on heartstrings and all that. Like, I feel like that's actually paid off in a decent way. But I think creatively down the line, you're just kind of writing yourself in the corners, or even worse, perhaps like Force Awakens, just writing yourself until you stop writing and there there was nothing at the end. You just you this is blank. The next movie is completely mm-hmm. blank. So again, I, I don't have a lot of reverence for Ghostbusters, so it's not like this offensive thing to me, of course. But um, on the other hand, this did exceed box office expectations and probably will continue to do well into the Thanksgiving week. So I think they're thinking, they're thinking about the sequel and uh, in a sense, I, I guess give give Sony some credit because they are trying to do the reboot game hardcore and they are finding some success, right? Bad Boys for Life, huge hit. Jumanji, two of them, huge hits. Man in Black International, Charlie's Angels, not huge hits. But it seems like Ghostbusters Afterlife is leading towards the hit. So they got what they want. Yeah, no, I mean, credit to Sony. Uh, they definitely pulled this off. Um, my theater was packed. Uh, I assume it will continue to continue to be packed, uh, like you said, into Thanksgiving. 
Um, two things. Oh, so, which, sorry, did you did you go during the day? Is that why you had some kids there? Yeah, I did go during the day. Anytime I think kids are even in play for going to the movie and going to, I go at night. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it it was a zoo. They were running all around. But you know what? Uh, it was nice because they actually were like really into it. And so That's it made nice. it a little, little bit more. Yeah. If it had just been me, I, well, boy, I, I might have just been like on my phone the whole time, unfortunately. Um, just like, just two, two quick thoughts. First of all, when Gozer slash Olivia Wilde, like, throws back the original ghostbusters and they hit the car i thought i would like that would have killed them like dude they, they, they're so old at this point that was really i was like oh dang and like clear body doubles obviously yeah um second thought in all this is is really just um do do like murray and hudson and Ackroyd really want to come back and keep doing this i like Ackroyd, i could see but Mur- bill murray he I really can... wants to come back and do this it, well and that was a thing too because previous attempts to make a Ghostbusters 3 didn't happen because they couldn't get everyone back. I think Murray in particular didn't want to come back, right? Mm-hmm. And some of them did cameos in Ghostbusters 2016, but they weren't playing their characters. Like, yeah, I, 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 don't, I doubt it, honestly. I really do, unless you're, like, throwing a lot of money at them. But, like, eventually they're going to stop working, you'd think, right? I don't know. Harrison Ford keeps doing shit, so maybe, maybe they'll do it. I don't know. Yeah, Dan Aykroyd's not like super busy, I guess. Bill Murray definitely has a lot more choice in his work. Yeah, I, I guess Murray maybe just being like the they come back to the shop and he like drops a few lines, kind of like he did in French Dispatch type of role. I could say right. potentially. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, he even had Sigourney Weaver in the in the credits scene too, coming back also in yeah. play. So um, very interesting. Uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife. Um, Good, good for them <laughs> you know good for them um the thing dave we also watched two other movies uh which we could have watched at home um and i did watch both at home i think you saw one in theaters the one we both watched at home was tick tick boom the uh movie directed by lin-manuel miranda his live action debut i believe yes um film film directorial debut yep and he is yeah film good 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 distinction he has done a lot of other live action stuff um it, it follows the life of uh jonathan larson uh you know biopic i guess about him uh, you know it's like yeah. interesting to like uh, like what genre this totally falls in but um jonathan larson who was the uh writer and creator of broadway shows like tick tick boom which the movie is named after uh and rent most notably i'd say to most people yeah um and mostly about his like first show that he's like creating in like his life around that time um i i I gotta be honest our guy andrew garfield playing jonathan larson thought he killed it was super pumped i thought this movie was great how did you feel watching tick tick boom i also was really pleased with it i really didn't didn't enjoy it um didn't really know what what it was going in you know it's like like tick tick boom not as famous as rent i think that goes without saying but also like tick tick boom the musical which is what's being adapted by lynn here that musical of course famously infamously was not brought to stage by jonathan larson because of his untimely sudden passing right when rent was coming out so it's, it's, it's funny to think of it as a biopic, right? Because it's, it's actually an original work created by the man. 
and not all of it's completely real you know it's like semi-autobiographical in the sense it's it's kind of funny to wrap your head around like the how, how all this connects right but i think the movie does a nice job of you know a, a keynoting and noting on like a tribute to jonathan larson obviously a huge theater figure who people like to think perhaps could have gone down as truly one of the greatest ever if he hadn't passed you know um you know in terms of this you know the best people making musicals so uh, what you get, though, is, as you said, I think a really compelling turn from Andrew Garfield, despite the fact that he's not like this huge song and dance man, you know, but he still no. really does a really good job. And I think Lynn, too, brings a really good cinematic touch to this movie. It doesn't come across as just a blatant, simple stage adaptation. I think it works as a film. So, yeah, I liked it. Yeah, and I think that that's the thing is. Um, it felt like a movie, but the songs and some of the ways that it weaved into things definitely held some of that original work um, and, and stage presence to it. Um, yeah, Garfield absolutely, I thought, uh, nailed this. Um, not only does he, you know, kind of embody the look, if you could look up pictures of Jonathan Larson, definitely has, I think, the look down but just overall brings a presence to the role. Um, he's like, uh, obviously the, the movie tick, tick, boom. Uh, the, the title is like referencing this feeling that Jonathan Larson kind of has in his life. Like time is like running out or like, or moving towards this like big explosion. And Garfield really like plays like him on, on this edge really well. And I think his like energy and like, uh, I don't know if neuroticism is necessarily the right word, but like kind of what comes across in this is just like super compelling and all of the emotional moments hit. I thought he played it all well. And I think about, I think about uh, his role in social network. And I feel like there were moments when he really taps into what he, the way he portrayed uh, Eduardo in that movie, you know, like uh, especially when he's like talking to, his girlfriend and like talking about how he has to do the show and has to this and he's like kind of like whining but also like fighting and like angry and it just is like man i, f I was just super pumped to see him like that um I, I saw you laughing was there something about that callback that you liked oh i, I just remember <laughs> lawyer up asshole yeah. <laughs> social network best movie of the 2010s check out our best movies of the 2010s on youtube.com slash nostalgia pot have a lot more thoughts on that yeah, I mean, isn't it great that Garfield is back to doing some cool parts, you know? Um, as Tammy Faye, I thought he did a good job. You know, I think the failings of that film rest more on the script and the structure of the film than the performances. I liked him in that. Um, and uh, But yeah, he's he's really compelling as leading man in, in, in Tick, Tick, Boom. Yeah, absolutely. Um you know, I also really liked his uh, friend Michael Robert uh, Robin De, De Jesus. Yes. I thought he was fantastic in this. Saw him in the Boys in the Band on Netflix last year. Um, but yeah, he brought a real emotional presence, and I think obviously incredibly necessary. I wasn't I wasn't super aware of Jonathan Larson's story, so having uh, Robin De Jesus as Michael, I think adds in so much to like understand the direction that Larson's work goes in, especially like the top, the material of rent, like obviously being based off yeah. of 
all these people that he that he was experiencing the loss of in his life. Um, so I and I thought it also brought a real sense of hu- like humanizing this like kind of neurotic character, which you really need when you have like this like crazed genius kind of like that you're following along because you could just be like oh this guy's a fucking dick and it's like no he has this friend who like really cares about him and like obviously he cares about back and brought a real sense of humanity too so thought he was crucial to it um like what else worked for you yeah I mean, to, just to that point you know it's if this movie maybe wasn't done as well you might not uh sympathize or root for jonathan quite as much because like on his face he's like you know he's barely surviving he can't he doesn't pay he doesn't pay his utility bill you know and it's not that he necessarily can it's just he's so focused on his his creative dream which as we know is not exactly the most lucrative thing to occupy all your time um but you know having having michael there presenting the other side of things right sacrificing giving up in a certain sense right because Jonathan prevents him as, oh, he's this amazing actor, right? And later on, Michael's like, no, I was a mediocre actor in New York City. There's a lot of those. You know, I really liked how they handled that. And they tried to, you know, naturally throughout the course of the movie, lift up like Jonathan's, you know, genius as a creator. Because all the other characters just really seem to, you know, believe it. And I think, again, I think it speaks to how the movie's uh, scripted and all that. Um, uh, nice to see Vanessa Hudgens in this. Yeah. You know, obviously, as we know, she does have, uh, good pipes and she's I think picking lots of roles that benefit her in that you know like she did like that uh, the Grease like live rendition a few years back so cool to see her in the ensemble um, definitely good uh, and then Alexandra Ship as as the girlfriend dancer character yeah. you know I haven't really seen too much of her since like X-Men Apocalypse and Dark Phoenix where she played Storm that's when I first became aware of her but I, I thought she also was a nice presence you know obviously this is a Jonathan story, Jonathan movie, Garfield's and most, it's all really about him, but I think they do a decent job of still coloring in his supporting characters enough that they're not super, you know, ciphery. Yeah. You know, going back to Hudgens real quick, the, the song she gets to sing um, really, really hit a chord for me. And I, I, I just thought that really worked. I thought basically the last like 20 minutes, like the emotional beats really were just uh, really working and super strong um you know, just a couple, a couple other people i want to shout out real quick um bradley whifford getting a nice little uh like role here which you know his, his career post uh west wing has been pretty interesting like up and down like i guess west wing was also around the time he's like billy madison and stuff like that um but i just think he's really found his like niche and like these like side character roles just really yes. fit for him but playing yeah. sondheim good look yeah, it looked. I thought it was very convincing too. Looked I agree. Like him, sounded like him. I love that bit um, where he's on stage with uh, Richard Kind's character, and <laughs> yeah. they're just completely saying the opposite thing at all times. It's so funny. But but, but Kind's like, I was gonna say that. Like, yeah. I, we're we're saying the same thing, but no. <laughs> yeah, <it's, laughs> thought that was. Like, great. I thought it was bad. I thought it was good. Right, and when I say it was bad, it was because it was good. You know. I don't yeah. Know you know just. You know, wise ass, really funny. Um, I I also really loved the uh, all the cameos in the the Sunday brunch uh, musical mm. number. Um, you, know, you get connection. Yep, you get Andre uh, De Shields. Um, I think you. I think uh, Philippa Sue was in there at one yep. point. And Renee Goldsberry. 
yeah and a ton of just like there's just a ton of uh, people i think also um a couple of cast members from rent i, I didn't see adina I, I was kind of expecting to see adina in there somewhere but um yeah just uh, some really nice touches did you like seeing lynn show up as the cook yeah, I feel like I barely noticed it, honestly, at first. Huh. Yeah. Um, but I, I guess that, that that's his thing, right? Like, he he, yeah. he still gave himself a small role for uh, in the Heights adaptation, yep. which he didn't direct, but he's obviously produced. So, yeah, I think that, that's just what we got to expect from Lynn. But honestly, mm-hmm. I, I was impressed with, with the job he did on this. You know? Me too. Um, and we're going to be getting more of Lynn at the end of this week. Disney's uh, next animated film, Encanto, okay. comes out with original songs by Lin Manuel Miranda. He's a busy man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, last question for this, we'll move on. Any musical number that really stood out for you? Oh yeah, uh, I really liked. Uh, what was it? The the I thought the first song, the opening number, I really mm. enjoyed. Uh, the Happy Birthday song. I I don't know if that's the name of it. I liked that one a lot. Um, uh, the Johnny Can't Decide song, more towards the middle, I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, I, I like the music. You know, and I, think I, I like the music it, a lot. If, if the music wasn't that good, you know, Technic Boom wouldn't be too good either. You know, I mean, that, that's the thing about musicals. You know, <laughs> it needs to be there. The music, <laughs> definitely. I, I really liked um, Boho Days. Um, that where they're like in the apartment having the party and they're singing about how great like bohemian life is um in new york city i just really liked that whole feel and obviously a, a nod to rent in a sense obviously um they, they talk about bohemian i have one of the songs pretty yeah i can't remember what it's called that's the one um so just just like really good stuff i was really pleased with this movie like and kind of surprised i thought that this might be like yeah kind of middling but Blew my yeah, expectations well, away. And that's actually a funny note too, you know, remarking on the script and being impressed with it. This movie was written by Steven Levinson, the creator of Dear Evan Hansen. Mm. Levinson, of course, was also in involved in the adaptation of Dear Evan Hansen that we just got, Ben Platt. <laughs> and that did not go nearly as well. It's funny nah. to see how that goes. <laughs> um, well, we're gonna move on from Tick Tick Boom now to King Richard. Um, Will Smith's back, baby. Uh, King Richard, following the life of Richard Williams, the, I guess, somewhat controversial father to Serena and Venus Williams. Um, this movie is directed by Ronaldo Marcus Green, up and coming director. But I mean, really, the story is Will Smith in this role. Seems like a real star turn. Seems like potential Oscar uh worthy performance uh, maybe we'll talk about that yeah we'll talk Always. about the oscar stuff in uh in, at the end but best yeah. actor nomination uh, that, that's happening you think so oh yeah so easily did you Black like the movie in. did you like, I did like it i thought it was awesome honestly you know it, it doesn't necessarily wow you with being something you haven't seen before but it's just there i think so much of it's really well done and executed on and there's a few key decisions that the way they were made really prop up the film. I, I liked it a lot. I, I, I thought it was really good. Um, I, I don't know if I would say that it was everything I was hoping it would be, um, but I, I definitely thought, I thought the movie had more heart than I was expecting. And, it, and it's not necessarily like a classic biopic 
um um in like the sense of like it follows a person's life throughout the years this is like a pretty specific period of time um you know venus's rise to um prominence or, or like the start of her like rise to prominence i guess yep um and really it's it's more of like a family story than anything exactly which is why it works for will obviously but go ahead what were you gonna say yeah no it, it's a family drama first not really a biopic right mm-hmm. guys biopic qualities tendencies you know but it's really just a snapshot mm-hmm. of the journey here and becomes more of a venus williams movie once we progress you know about a third halfway through but as you said you know the heart of it really lands and all that that's all buoyed by i think will's performance as richard williams where you know he's nailing it from what i know from the footage i've seen of richard williams you know it's will's kind of hunched over a little bit kind of talking with a louisiana drawl his hair doesn't look the best yet it's still will smith there's still a a twinkle in his eye that few people have you know and he, he i think every he just sells it all so well yeah the way which williams acted you know it's all very uh very very reminiscent i guess you know and i really like how the movie tries to take back uh, that that narrative that had been around Richard Williams, right? It's like the crazy sports dad, you know? I mean, he came up a little bit before you get like Earl Woods, Tiger Woods' dad. It became a common thing at this time, you know, in the mid to late 90s. But Richard Williams, even though he definitely had some antics and he definitely uh, said some things in a way only he could, he also was a really dedicated guy. And I really loved how the movie honed in on that but it wasn't just him either you know his his the, the, the mother his wife as well keep yeah. and it doesn't sideline her and make her just like the uh, the antagonist or the supporting figure and that's it she also has her own qualities in the story so yeah like i, I like like you said it's it's not really a biopic kind of is kind of a sports movie at the end anyway but the family stuff is what seems to be our through line here. And I think it really works. And, and I think you really got to what, why I think this movie worked. Um, and that's Anjanou uh, Ellis playing um, Oracine Price uh, Brandy. Um, I, I just thought her presence in the movie really hit home the family aspect. And the family aspect is what I loved. Obviously, I think Will gives a good performance. Um, I think if it had just been about him and the girls, it would have been grading to the, it would have been a bit grading at some points. And I think, um, or definitely had a grading tendencies as a, as a person, <laughs> as a character, right. That, that much is clear. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I think or really like that, that scene of them like fighting in the kitchen or in, in the, the house after, um, after he decides that Venus isn't going to play or, or something like that where they really have it out. And she points out that it's not just your sacrifice. This wasn't just your plan. Like I'm part of this too. Um, I think really hammers home uh, why this movie is good. Uh, it's because it's not about necessarily Venus. It's not about Serena. It's, it, 
the other daughters are, I think, even more fun than than those two are at times. Like the way that they're they're supporting their sisters and joking around with them and playing around like them in the camper. Like these moments are really what made or at least the message that they're trying to get across what made these two successful is that they had this strong family nucleus that supported each other all the way and were each other's biggest fans. Um, I think Richard obviously was the driver and like the decision maker a lot of the time. Um, but I, I just think if it had just been about him, it would have been not as effective. So, um, you know, going back to Will's performance, I do think he like transforms, which certainly means he probably is going to get the Oscar nomination. I don't know. I, I feel like some of the like emotional moments, like I almost feel like he was a bit like subdued in, in ways. And, and that was probably a choice. I think that was probably like he pulled back a little bit, um, kind of like the dad and like a little bit like toned down like dad of uh, pursuit of happiness a little bit in this. Sure. But um, or he was Oscar nominated. Yes. So he probably, I mean, you're probably right. The Oscar nomination is probably coming, but I just, I just thought he was a little bit less Will Smithy than usual. And maybe, maybe that's why he will get nominated. But I was like, eh, something feels like it's missing here to me. Huh, interesting. I mean, yeah, I, I've seen, really good. I've seen really uh, strong reviews of his performance. So I, I have no doubt he will be nominated. Um, tell me what you thought about, <laughs> Uh, our guy John Bernthal though gets a pretty meaty role here. Yeah, it was uh, Rick Macy, is it the uh, the second yeah. coach, the soccer guy? I mean, nice little nods there when he comes in, right? Referencing Andy Roddick working with mm-hmm. uh, his crew at that point. Uh, yeah, I thought he was good. It's nice to see Bernthal just kind of being a good, genuine guy for once. We always uh, suspect the worst with his characters more often than not. You know, whether he's mm-hmm. being a outwardly bad guy or at least someone operating in a moral gray area <laughs> so uh, yeah. i thought he was great really you know he's he's a charismatic presence he really is a star and uh i loved i loved his dynamic with richard too because again the movie does a, such a good job of like highlighting people's like frustrations with richard but they still he's richard still gets it done at the end of the day you know and like, i think nothing nothing no, nothing shows that better than richard whipping around the golf cart you know, a few seeds once you're introduced to the academy, yeah, owning the place. You know, what well, what were the the scenes that stood out to you most? Like, I I love Bernthal, by the way. I don't really have much more to say other than that. I yeah, he he's good, great. Uh, I love the scene at the country club with the agents, one yeah. of which was played by Dylan McDermott, and I think a great piece of casting. Love that. Um, well, they're basically trying to buy her off. Yeah, well, they're, they're trying to get in early at a discount, hoping mm-hmm. that they'll just take the money as soon as it's thrown at them, right? And I just love how I love how Richard handles that, and the script is is really well done because it doesn't beat you over the head that uh, the sport of tennis is very white and very affluent and very inaccessible, and just the mere presence of the Williams sisters in the space is different. And to some, like an affront and unwanted and all that, right? And Richard has clear acknowledgement of that, but he doesn't necessarily say it, right? So I really love how they handle that um, in that scene. I also really like the scene later on where um, that first like Nike offer is presented in the hotel room before the big match. Yeah. And it's like two million or whatever, right? 
And again, the way the way it handles that, but then again, they, they pay it off, right? Because it could really build up Venus and like having her make the decision or at least outwardly say it, you know. But I really like how they handle that stuff because they, 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 they there's just, there's a nice tact tact to it in the film. Yeah, I agree about the, the shoe deal scene. I thought that was really good, um, and I thought it was play, played really well by uh, Sania Sydney, um, who plays Venus in this. But just like the way she's sitting there and the conversation that Richard and her have, like, what do you want to do? Like, and really like putting out to her and you see like the growth and like him actually like getting the message from the rest of the family that like he needs to be including um, everybody in these sorts of decisions. I just thought that was such a nice payoff. Um, I also really liked the ending scene, you know, where they have this match where Venus gets iced out and you, you know, just seeing like, Richard not watching or watching from the, the tunnel and then deciding to like go out and sit with the family as like Venus is having this, you know, difficult game or the game not or the match not go her way. I just thought it was like a really like great choice. Um, and, and obviously like supposed to be heart heartfelt, but just I, I thought hammered home everything that the movie was going for, which is yeah. obviously family. So thought it was great. Yep. I, I loved. Uh, I love how the tennis looked, honestly. You know, yeah, um, they 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 film a lot of like wide shots, seeing the back and forth, and yeah, some of it's probably CGI assistant stuff, but really compelling. Honestly, tennis in the movies not always done in a believable way, you know. But like, it actually looks like good tennis, you know. And um, you kind of need that when you have some sports movie DNA in your film. Um, early on, I really like the tension about a uh, back in Compton where you have like the. The, the gang uh, harassing them will thinking about taking in matters into his own hands seeing the drive by but then when the Williamses get their success and the gang kind of rallies around them, for him right yeah. <laughs> when uh, the first coach comes by and like the gang is like who is this and Richard's like no no he's cool he's just white like it's it, it's yeah. great you know but it, again the, this did a really good job of kind of paying things off in each act I feel like uh, yeah, no, I totally agree. And um, I really liked it just so uh, Tony Goldwyn plays Paul Cohen, yeah. the first coach. Um, I really liked his presence and his like back and forth with, with Richard a lot of the time and always kind of like, are you kidding me, Richard? And then like eventually being like, OK, like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I thought that was was pretty good. Um, but also like when when they first meet him and he just has uh, Pete Sampras and uh, what's his name? The douchebag uh, McEnroe McEnroe yeah and you know McEnroe just a hothead but um I thought that was really really funny and just like the, the little ways they would like throw those names out there if you're like a big tennis fan you kind of like tune into some of them Jennifer Capriati kind of t- took some strays in this oh yeah. like I don't even know if they're strays at this point it's like those direct like, I guess but... yes sniper scope <laughs> yeah um I thought, thought that was kind of tough also interesting that like Serena Williams, maybe the biggest tennis star in the world right now. Um, mm-hmm. uh, kind of the kinda most accomplished line. in the women's game. Yeah, you know, uh, twenty-three this... Grand Slams. Venus had seven. You know, Serena yeah. far surpassed uh, her older sister in mm-hmm. due time. But as you're getting to the movie, doesn't really do much with Serena. Yeah, this is a, a Venus story, and so Serena's just kind of on the edges, on the outskirts. You get, I think you get one really satisfying scene where she like puts herself into a tournament without asking her parents and like is kicking ass. And that's, that's kind of cool to see how they respond, but mm-hmm. yeah, just 
really on the fringes. Do you do you, could you foresee a King Richard two or the story of Serena type of thing? I, so I I'd say no. Um, so the, it, interesting that the the William sisters are producers on this film. You're always a little wary of seeing that stuff and thinking it might be a hey geography. But again, I thought they do a good job of not sugarcoating that. Yeah, you know, Richard was a flawed guy, right? Um, but thing is, Will Smith is very tactical in his film choices. And I just don't think you would see the benefit to him to doing the role a second time. Um, especially if you won for it, but also like in, in the compromise state movie going is in right now. Uh, this is coming out also on HBO Max, but it's an adult drama. This is not going to make a lot of money unless it like has a huge awards run, which we haven't really seen that happen yet in COVID. So we don't really know what that looks like. So I don't, I don't know if like the, there's going to be like a compelling like thing. We need a sequel to this, right? I feel like it's just going to be like a, a really con- uh, satisfying snapshot choice executed on by Will. And I'll be very happy with this, especially because it's a nice return from say something that didn't quite go as well like Gemini Man, you know? But yeah, I, I don't know. I, don't you feel like there's not a whole lot to gain from doing this Serena movie either? because you'd probably just kind of be running a lot of King Richard back. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I've, I heard some talk on some different podcasts, things I listen to about, Oh, could this happen? I, I couldn't see that for Will. Um, this isn't the, a, a franchise type role. This is more of a, like, uh, like Oscar grabby type role, which we're, I think yeah. we're kind of moving towards. So why would you, like you said, why would you run that back? It makes no sense. Um, you, you mentioned, we're going to talk about Oscars here. I mean, Will, I think you pointed out and made a strong case. Definitely going to be nominated. Do you see any, any other nominations coming from this? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, Anjana Ellis, uh, perhaps in the mix. Definitely supporting performance. Um, those, I think, are there. I mean, it's probably in the mix for Best Picture. It's a rousing family movie, you know? Like, it's popular. Interesting. Um, so, yeah, I think it'll be around, honestly. I really do. Um do I think it's a contender for Best Picture? Probably not. But it seems like it, we're going to the duel for Best Actor is Benedict Cumberbatch and The Power of the Dog, which is coming out soon on Netflix, and Will Smith with King Richard. So you'll be seeing a lot of Will on the campaign trail, which is a good thing. You know, he hasn't won an Oscar before. He's been nominated twice. Um, I would love it to be a his time thing, even if Cumberbatch truly is exceptional, you know? I, I have no doubt that Cumberbatch will be around again in a buzzy role. But like Will Smith, you know, Will Smith could use the Oscar. And I think it's more than earned with this one. So uh, we'll be talking about King Richard. I'm not, I'm not worried about it. Yeah, just looking through, um, you know, Will, Will Smith's filmography here, here over the last couple of years. And he's been working fairly consistently. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 2018 didn't have any movies, but... Last time what? he did something like this was you know, a good chunk of time ago with concussion, you know, so it's been a while. Yeah. Tell the truth. Um, yep. Yeah. I'm looking here. I mean, what was the last role you really, you really liked him in before this? I mean, bad boys. Uh, well, he was an exceptional in bad boys for life. That was a complete yeah. home run in terms of bringing True. back a franchise. He was awesome True. in that. Yeah. Uh, I thought he was pretty good as genie. Yes. Surprisingly. So yes, I loved him as the genie, honestly. In a lot of uh, live action. I know. You were a big fan of Bright. 
<laughs> I still haven't seen Bright actually. No, I don't want to watch Netflix. it. Netflix don't want to do it. Yeah, I'm just looking here. I mean, before that, uh, man, Karate Kid seven pounds. Like he had a he had a tough run, but I feel like of late, Headshot, been... Suicide Squad one. <laughs> yeah, he's not he's his fault. He's, up, he's good enough in that. Uh, I, you wait. Did you like uh the one where he's like trying to kill himself, Gemini Man? Yeah, Gemini Man is really interesting because like Will Will's pretty solid in that, but like that was kind of Ang Lee getting a little lost in the own sauce, mm-hmm. focused a little more on the technological aspect of things, like the credible cameras he used to make it, and just so that like the movie could not actually be shown in its intended resolution in almost any screen in the country. Like, I think we could just scale it back you know will smith because like, there's some really good action in gemini man and will will's quite convincing in that but overall yeah it's it's just okay but it's cool seeing the theater anyway you know he has he has a big movie coming up next year emancipation i was just about to say Fuqua. looking here we maybe we're gonna get back-to-back will smith nominations because this this feels like the type of movie that if it if the premise <laughs> that i'm reading here is is how it actually turns out could be Oscar Beatty as well. Um, might be a little too actiony for a real Oscars run, yeah. but Fuqua is a bit up and down um, these days. So, well, depend depends how it goes. But yeah, I want Will Smith to act as a as much as possible because he's at worst he's still going to be a movie star in your movie, you know. So, uh, Tick Tick Boom. You think it has any outside Oscar nom? Chances. Yeah, yeah, I'd say the best actor field isn't quite like stratified yet. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Garfield is like the most deserving best actor I've ever seen, but like seems like he's in the greater mix at this time for that. Other than that, probably not. I feel like it's kind of in like that like second tier of movies with yeah. award aspirations. So maybe, maybe like a, some out. music ones, maybe like best original song or something like that or are these even considered original songs probably not i don't think they are i honestly best original songs probably gonna go to that beyonce song in king richard that's, that's true yeah well king richard <laughs> we expect to see a lot of it in the coming months um all right i think that does it for us this week what do we got next week dave yeah speaking of the oscars you got mm, more hopefuls coming up specifically house of gucci ridley scott's second film of the fall Lady oh, yeah. Gaga, Adam Driver, very excited about that. Oh, yeah. uh, we have I'm going to be seeing Licorice Pizza in 70 millimeter. Paul Thomas Anderson, excited to get to that. That's opening on Black Friday. Um, I mentioned Encanto, Disney Animation, also Hawkeye. First two episodes, Marvel, MCU, Disney Plus on Wednesday. The Beatles Get Back, Peter Jackson's three part Beatles documentary series on Disney Plus. Cowboy Bebop live action is on Netflix right now. Yeah, a lot of good stuff for the holiday weekend. A lot of good or stuff. Week. Uh, so follow allow, follow along uh, at NostalgiaPod on Twitter, SoundCloud.com slash NostalgiaPod, and YouTube.com slash NostalgiaPod. R.I.P. Young Dolph. <laughs>